You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Good morning. Welcome to Bicycle Retail Radio, uh, presented by the National Bicycle Dealer Association. My name's Pat Hoos, and uh, I have a, a longstanding member in the bicycle industry, been in it for about 40 years, shocking to say that. And currently, I am playing host, and uh, today we'll be chatting with Todd Sadow, who is the founder and president of Epic Rides. So welcome, Todd. Thanks, Pat. So, Todd, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience, which, by the way, is mostly made up of a, a lot of retailers and their teams and their staffs. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in the bike industry. As you mentioned, my name is Todd Sadow. I founded Epic Rides about 20 plus years ago, 21 years ago. Uh, we organize mountain bike events. We've been accused of throwing uh, parties that happen to have mountain bike events nearby. Uh, our events are the 24 Hours in the Old Pueblo, the Whiskey Off-Road in Prescott, Arizona, the Grand Junction Off-Road in Colorado, the Carson City Off-Road in Nevada, uh, the Oz Trails Off-Road in Bentonville, Arkansas, and the Tour of the White Mountains in Pine Top Lakeside, Arizona. Wow, you got a lot of a lot of balls in the air, my friend. Yeah, six of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any new ones planned for 2020, or are you pretty well set with the the slate that you have today? Uh, we do. We have we have a new one that we are in the contract phase on right now. So with a little bit of luck, we'll announce it this winter. And, and it will launch for late summer. It'll be late summer of 2020. It'll be its first year. It'll be in the Midwest. And then our goal with the off-road events is to have a national series. So we set out about a decade or more ago to sort of rebirth mountain biking, uh, backcountry mountain biking in America, and all, all predicated on just being true to our roots and producing events with courses that are um, you know, a curated set of trails that anybody as a mountain biker would want to go ride, whether it's a, you know, evening ride with their friends or on a weekend to go big with their buddies, but, you know, an, uh, a very authentic experience where it's, you know, good trails, uh, rugged, backcountry, challenging, technical, fun, uh, everything that we, you know, oftentimes get into the sport for. So yeah, we'll launch in the Midwest in 2020, and then we're looking at the East Coast in 2021. And at that point, we should be built out nationally. We, we might go to the Northwest at some point. Uh, we're still on the fence with that, that region. Fantastic. Well, I've had the good fortune of ex experiencing a couple of your events. I attended the Whiskey 50, I think you remember, several years back, um, and also uh, visited 24 Hours of Old Pueblo, which is just sort of an amazing event in itself. And kind of cr you, you, you've created something there that's like, an entity, a, a thing that takes on a life of its own, right? It's almost like you build out a city out there outside of Tucson. Yeah, the maybe infamous 24-hour town. Uh, we Back in the day, we used to get compared to, to Woodstock. And these days, we get compared to Burning Man. And it's funny, we obviously, there's a healthy tilt to it, right? Because it's mountain biking at the end of the day. But apparently, some burners got wind of the 24 hours in the old Pueblo and and thought you know we live in you know southern arizona and so this sounds like it's our bag we're going to go out there and they show up in full burner regalia like you know g-strings and tassels and all kinds of interesting stuff and I, they hung out the whole weekend they like stayed the course but it was like 
you know, this is a, undeniably there's a party happening out here and there's 4,000 of us out in the desert, completely remote for a weekend. And it's our little world, 24 hour town, but we're not quite like burning down a 150 foot tall burning structure or anything, you know, <laughs> and these guys were just lingering all weekend and they were, you know, they're, they're, sparkles on and everything it was pretty funny they added to the character but yeah that that whole that event the vibe of it sort of transcends it everybody hears about it and they hear about how positive it is and welcoming and, and so forth and i think that that yeah that that sort of is that's what established us that was our first event the 24 hours no pueblo and then all of the other events are modeled in a similar fashion as far as our inclusiveness to everyone that you know we want to be able to show up and whether they're coming to an off-road event for for the riding as a beginner or as a, a seasoned amateur that is just looking for a challenge to give themselves a goal or the pros we have the biggest cash person in the world for the pro mountain bikers as well as just people that are curious we've got huge industry expos we've got free live music with you know national touring headliners and so forth so you know the idea for all of our events is just to be inclusive you know and that's what 24-hour town embodies i guess so todd looking at this how how have you guys gone about selecting locations what's what's been the driver i mean you're in carson city you're outside of tucson you're in bentonville arkansas you're in some unique locales and i'm just curious what led you to those locations in your selection process quality mountain biking first and foremost like so there was a time in mountain biking when when we were just getting started back in 1999 that i think a lot of the, the the competitive mountain biking environment had evolved a lot and a lot of the trails that were being offered in courses that people could sign up and do events on were sort of deviating from what maybe the 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 roots of the sport. A lot of multiple lap stuff and a lot of cure, you know, like maybe trails that were suited for all types of people, not just mountain bikers, and and they, maybe they got a little bit too too easy. <laughs> um, so what we are looking for in a venue is is just honest to goodness, like high quality mountain bike trails. So Carson City. Of all places, right? That's just uh, 30 minutes south of Reno on the way to South Lake Tahoe. Um, a lot of people don't realize Carson City, it's, it's the capital of Nevada, but, you know, more notably, a lot of people think it's next to Vegas down in southern Nevada. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's this amazing town that has this uh, vibrant mountain bike culture that, that is really anchored by the NICA movement. They've got a really successful and very robust high school mountain bike teams that are based there. And, yep. and they started building trails uh, basically illegally, which be honest it's kind of part of our roots you know and but we found out at the time that they were they were building trails illegally in the community the municipality had found out about those trails and instead of uh, abolishing or doing away with those trails they said hey this is an asset and we've got to find a way to leverage it and so you know the fact well, we we got wind of that particular behavior that they they discovered they had mountain bike trails illegal or not and said that there's value here and we want to we want to put these on a, a bigger map, right? And, and help leverage them for our community, for the health of the community and to draw more people into the community for tourism. And so that's that's how Carson City became, right? right. And it's those trails that were you know, built by passionate trail building. People in the community are what we're looking for. We're looking for high quality stuff. So, you know, I think forever people have known like Fruta and Moab, which are right next to Grand Junction. And there's really high quality trails in Grand Junction. The Lunch Loops, which is a, a big portion of our Grand Junction off-road course selection, is is legendary in its own right among the core mountain bike community. And so we've really you know, taken it upon ourselves and our relationship with the Grand Junction Sports Commission to to proliferate awareness, right? That you know to get outside of that core mountain bike community that is driving over from the Front Range to get away during the the thaw, spring thaw, and you know get their attention to stopping Grand Junction as well as through the Moab and Palisade. 
No, I think that's smart. And I know the Bentonville thing was uh, influenced largely because that community has just gone crazy in terms of trail building. And I've heard nothing but amazing stories of the, the quality of riding in Bentonville, Arkansas, of all places. But I think that's a reflection of the Walmart and the, and the Walton family, right? Putting in a lot of investment into the trail systems there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the maybe the most exemplary venue for for trails in general in america right they uh you know the waltons tom and stewart in particular uh the whole family has a passion for two wheels for for pedal powered two-wheel activities so you know they've been cyclists on you know on, on generational level for many many years uh tom and stewart obviously have uh, a vision for northwest arkansas and a big part of their vision is for their economy to embrace the the outdoors the ozarks the ozark mountains and, and the and the um, outdoor opportunities they offer. And so, you know, they're in a position to, to approach it in a very strategic way that really puts the, you know, maybe nature's best foot forward and, and really with a huge bias towards mountain biking. So that's been a pretty fun event for us to, to collaborate with them on and with Visit Bentonville and Visit Bella Vista, the neighboring town that also has oodles and oodles of trails. Um, yeah. And uh, to, yeah, to, to draw an audience into that community. Art. Our events, you know, for instance, with the Whiskey Off-Road in Prescott, which is the, the OG off-road event for us, that event will be uh, 90% of the people participating will not be from Prescott and 30 to 40% will not be from Arizona. And, and so there's this huge economic impact that comes with these events that, you know, there's this year-round marketing component that puts the, the community and the event on the map. And then it culminates each event weekend each year with people in their community experiencing it, having a really good time, maybe suffering a little bit, but also having a really good time before and after their ride. And uh, in Bentonville's case, that's, again, it's an exemplary venue. Over 90% of the event is not even from Arkansas. It's, that's, that's how many people are traveling from outside the community and just outside the state to come and check out Northwest Arkansas trails. That's great. And, you know, you kind of nice segue, actually, because that was one of my next my next question is kind of getting into the the meat and potatoes here. We you've got a, a retailer audience here. And so they're probably some of them are maybe scratching their heads like, why are we having this conversation on a podcast? What what does this have to do with me as an independent bike shop retailer? Uh, how do these types of events impact my business? And so. If you could speak a little bit more in terms of the economic impact that you that you have in adjacent communities and where it's impacting and how far those distances are, and just kind of maybe even a couple of examples of where you've partnered with retailers to you know collaborate and promote the events. Sure. So, see so here on an, a local level for the the local bike shops in our host communities, it's not uncommon for them to have sales record-setting sales uh, on our event weekends. Our participants will arrive to town, you know, the vast majority show up on Friday and leave on Sunday, but there's there's a huge percentage. Like, and when I say vast majority, it's probably 51% because there's 49% that are, it consists of the pros and the, the friends and family that show up together days early to pre-ride the course and to just make a vacation out of it. And so there's there's a tremendous percentage of people that will show up to our host communities, you know, three, four days ahead of time, up to a week ahead of time. And, and so those, the local bike shops see just tremendous traffic the moment that you get within a week of the event. Uh, so there's, there's lots of opportunities to leverage the events um, in that regard for the local bike shops. Now, we don't make a habit of going to local bike shops and looking for major sponsorship deals. 
Um, we look at this very much like we're all in this together and, and we, we understand who we are and this isn't a, uh, this is a cost containment game. It's not a high volume game. Um, and so we really want to create a, a platform for all the local bike shops in our host communities to get involved, to do it at a really low price point, if any, and, and to, to capitalize on the traffic, the event brings and the, the awareness the event brings to the communities from, from out of town guests, as well as the local cycling community. Now, because there's so many people from out of town using, using Prescott as an example and the whiskey offered again, it's reasonable to expect a big portion of the in-state people to come from Tucson and Phoenix. And so bike shops really statewide, if they're in a state where one of our events happens, then they should, you know, we reach out, we do outreach to with, with flyers and posters and so forth to all the shops in the, in the region of each of the events. So we'll do a mailing of two to 300 uh, posters and flyers to, or, or to two or, two or 300 different shops um, in each region. So there's, and there's considerations for them in those mailers, but they should also look to, to target their, their customers and, and who they think is a good candidate to come to the events. Because the moment someone has signed up for one of our events or really any cycling event, they've established a goal for themselves. And if the shop can play an active role in helping them achieve that goal, it leads to sales. Like just at the end of the day, like you know, not to sound too capitalistic here, but it should, it, it should, you know, Hey, you, you, you're going to blow through tires because you're riding more because you're training more frequently um, and call it training or just getting out with your buddies more frequently because you have a goal. Um, but, but cyclists then use products and use equipment more because of that. And so that's the engagement opportunity for any bike shop uh, around any event, whether it's ours or, or, and, you know, any other, any other great events out there. We, like I said, we send out flyers and posters in that mailing uh, as a, maybe a, a courtesy. We offer half off on two entries to all the shops whether they put up the posters or not. Uh, so again, that's an opportunity to say, hey, you've been a really good customer to us. We want to give you half off from one of these Epic Rides events, right? Um, and right. or for a shop owner or manager to say, hey, you've been a great employee. Take a weekend off. Here's half off on an entry. Go ride in this Epic Rides event and have a good time, right? So there's there's lots of ways to engage with the events and and to, to leverage them for the benefit of the, of the bike shop. But I think maybe the, the most important message, and it's not unique to us, is that, there's a there's a big opportunity for every every local bike shop to to get involved with cycling events and to drive that message into their customer because it gives their customer it gives them a stickiness for that customer to keep wanting wanting to come back and whether it's seeking advice or seeking products that that help them get to that goal it's amazing how much a customer can justify when they have a goal right you know if they're just training day in and day out then it's easy to stick to the routine and the gloves they've been wearing yeah, it might smell a little bit funny, but they get the job done. But you know, when they have a goal, they say, "I want to be ready on ride day. I want to feel like I'm ready on ride day." And so, you know, extra stands, no tubes sealing in their tires, fresh set of gloves, you know, whatever it might be, a clean jersey that doesn't smell so bad. <laughs> All those things become justified somehow. No, I think it's a great point. I think you know, today retail is is not getting any easier. It's getting more and more difficult, and retailers have to be thinking of untraditional ways of getting out into the market and connecting with their customers, developing new customers. And I, I think your events, uh, if I'm a shop in that region, I'm going to get involved to in some capacity. I'm going to reach out to my customers. I'm going to encourage them to come and participate. And if I had the opportunity, I definitely would consider an expo space. Do you allow retailers to bring product and actually 
sell product at the expo or is that something that's you know forbidden and it's different by state or how is that set up for you guys we do absolutely um there there are local tax requirements whether it's local to the community or the state that we're in if there's a retailer traveling from a different state or something um that that will help with them facilitating and processing all the paperwork and then they've got to follow up and pay whatever taxes are appropriate but outside of that yeah we want you know we would encourage not necessarily a shop from the midwest coming to the 24 hours pueblo to sell you know random right. uh random accessories we've got local shops in tucson that we work with like bicycle ranch that fulfill that that sort of role in the event um but if there's a shop that has a team and they want to come and set up in our tech zone and support their team and conduct some sales as well while they're there then that that seems like a good way to leverage that platform so th- they can say hey we've we've rounded up 10 20 people that shop at our store and we want to be there on ride weekend to support them and and so then we've got a heavily discounted tech space for for teams so they can show up and and be there on site and that way the you know the team has a place to congregate they've got all their you know nutrition and so forth in one place before and after the event and and it it helps build morale for the shop right i mean you've got employees that are there to to run support you've got uh valued customers that are there or customers that are valuing you more because you're there that have this experience together and it just builds community more and more and i think that's maybe the number one most important thing for for any local bike shop these days is to have a community and to play a role in it yeah i couldn't agree with you more i think that's really well put Today's podcast is brought to you by Marsh and McClellan Agency, a leader in bicycle industry insurance. With MMA, you'll find the peace of mind that comes from knowing you have the insurance protection you need. MMA serves three primary segments of the bike insurance industry, retail bike shops, bicycle product suppliers and manufacturers, and bike trail builders. MMA provides coverage that is uniquely tailored to your risks, led by Scott Chapin, an agent who knows the bicycling world and business. Find out more at marshmma.com. I'm going to shift gears a little bit on you here because I have a few th- areas I want to make sure we cover. One of them that I think will help be helpful to retailers is, you know, what's the makeup today in events? Who's? Let's talk a little bit about your participants. I, obviously, I think it's pretty safe to assume the majority of your participants at events like yours are going to be enthusiasts, what we would classify as enthusiasts. But how are we looking at in, in terms of age breakouts? Are we still seeing that heavily weighted to the 40 and older crowd? Or are we seeing the audience getting any younger, which we're all hoping that that's the case? So, Pat, I, I, this is going to make me sound like a real geek, but at the risk of sounding like a geek, I'm actually excited to answer this because we're seeing a change <laughs> in the landscape. And, and it gets me excited because it shows that there's a future here, right? Um, yeah. And there's, there's a future, there's something to harness because we know what it is. And I think that it's exciting. So uh, historically, the mountain biker forever has been a 36-year-old male. The mountain biker doing our events. Like if we had to pinpoint the target market, one person, 36-year-old male. And, and for the first time, we, we've seen a, a three-year trend playing out so far uh, that continues to get bigger and bigger. And that's that the, the 17 and under age group has doubled in the last three years. Uh, awesome. So, yeah. And then, uh, and then the, that 30s, let's see, I've got some numbers in front of me. So like the, the early 30s to early 50s segment is 
is spreading out. So it's not as heavily based in, say, that 35 to 40 group anymore. The 35 to 40 age group as a percentage has decreased at our events. And it's displaced across going younger, like the, the, the 20s and early 30s, as well as there's growth in the 55 and up group, which means people are mountain biking longer. Uh, and that, that's just testament to the products that are out there and that people can, you know, can ride longer into, into their, their 50s and 60s now because the technology is better. But also, I think the, the big youth movement in, in middle school and high school mountain biking from NICA is starting to show in our numbers and that we're, we're seeing uh, growth in the 17 and under, and we're seeing bigger percentages at our events of participation in that 20s crowd. That's fantastic. So talk to me a little bit about w- what are we seeing on the women front? Because obviously that's an area that we, we, we need more women out there. And I don't know if, that, if you're seeing growth in that category or is it stagnant? What, what are you seeing? We're seeing growth in the female category as well. Uh, we just came off of the Oz Trails off-road. We honored the, the women of Oz. The women of Oz started less than nine months ago, and they've had over 600 unique women come through their program. Uh, they do a flagship ride each month, and, and they fill up every month. There's women that drive from out of town to come and do their, their social rides. There's In Tucson, the, the, the Belljoy ride women are a group that continues to grow year on year. Uh, and that it is represented in our participation as well. So that this is, I think it's an exciting time for mountain biking. And, and it's exciting because our demographic is evolving, right? Uh, we're not just a bunch of you know, mid-30s or early 40s dudes going out for rides. Now there's a lot of women participating in the sport. And there's also a lot of kids coming up in the sport, which is a bloodline. And that's different from from other disciplines in this space. You know, I'm I'm very biased towards mountain biking, but you know, road cycling doesn't have that kind of bloodline. Triathlon doesn't have that kind of bloodline. Mountain biking does. That's, that's right. Exciting. Yeah, and you're seeing growth really across almost all of your events, are you not? Yeah, it's we're we're going pretty strong right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the 24 hours in the old Pueblo filled up in less than an hour at 2,000 riders. Uh, the whiskey off road filled up at at 2,000 riders this last year. The uh, Grand Junction off-road is pushing about 20% growth of the, a year. Carson City, even with changing the date and having a snow year, we still grew. Oztra's off-road grew by 50% this year. So it's everything's going pretty strong, and we're, we're having fun doing it. It's a ton of work, but, you know, what else are we going to do with our time? <laughs> exactly. Well, you're you got a little bit of passion for it, so I think that's a key. But hey, just out of curiosity, have you guys ever conducted any post-event surveys with your with your participants, just to kind of get a sense of? Uh, I'd be I'd be curious to see where they're buying their bikes and where they're buying their accessories. Um, are your customers these enthusiasts? Are they heavy online shoppers or are they local retail supporters? I'm just curious if you've ever done that, and if not, would you consider it? We have not asked where they're buying their bikes, but we do conduct surveys regularly. And I think it's a really relevant question. So we should work that into this next season of surveys and find out. Yeah, I think it would be helpful to kind of um, to learn as to what you know we need to do as an industry to support our retailers, what they need to be doing to, to capitalize on these customers. Why are these customers, if they are in fact heavily weighted to online, what, what's driving that? There's some good insight in that that I think could help our retailer audience here. So um, if you would, I'd love to help you structure those, some of those survey questions and, and put it out there and, and then 
be great to look at the responses at some point. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to take another tact on you here, and I just want to talk a little bit about emerging categories in the bike space. The first one that jumps off the page to me is gravel. Uh, I'm curious to hear what you're seeing, what you're what you're learning out there. I mean, it's become the buzz, and I and I have concerns because the industry is famous for creating these micro niches, as I like to call them. You know, the fat tire, the fat tire thing was, you know, oh, everybody's got to get fat tires. And then that kind of, <laughs> um, you know, but gravel seems to be, no pun intended, having a pretty decent traction. And I'm curious if you're embracing it. Are you creating, you know, routes that are gravel oriented? Just how you're viewing gravel. So I think it's very promising. I don't think it's a, another, what do you call it? An industry hyped trend? Um, micro niche, <laughs> micro niche. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think our industry works well with micro niches because we have a lot of tinkers and, and cycling. That that's you know that the mechanics of a bike are something that attract their appeal to them. You know, so I, I don't think that those things are without their place. But I think gravel is much bigger than a micro niche. I think that it's a response to road cycling and and the uh, whether it's perceived or, or actual danger that road cycling presents these days. You know, there's no doubt that drivers are more distracted than they ever were before the smartphone was introduced. And so I think that the the desire to get off road and to be on dirt roads where you can still zone out and you actually get the benefit of being, you know, more more deep into nature and legitimately in nature versus getting a workout on pavement, um, which you know, has its place too. But I think the gravel is going to be around for a long time. I think this is its first punch. So there's a lot happening in the space. There's lots of really good events popping up. So this is like uh, formative years for gravel, and it's an exciting time to be a gravel rider because of that. I don't know, you know, what how long this this little trend will last and when it'll plateau before it it you know pulls you know, pulls through for a second wind. But I think gravel's real. I don't think it's a micro trend or anything like that. And as far as us being involved, I look forward to doing gravel events personally, but we're not interested in producing any. We we actually, you know, we have an event that's 24 years old that has a gravel event and always has. And, you know, maybe that was before its day. It was, it was a, a visionary <laughs> yeah. event or something. Um, but other than that, one event with that component, that's not necessarily our core competency, right? We've got this um, audacious goal of building a, a national mountain bike series that represents the sport in, in a very authentic and meaningful way. And and I think part of that is not adding gravel events and trail running events and, you know, e-bike events and everything else that's out there, because I don't know that that's necessarily what, what mountain biking is right now, you know? Well, you just opened the, the last piece and you set me up. E-bikes, it's, they're here. It's, um, in some cases, it's been the driver to help keep some retailers afloat. Uh, in Europe, it's literally has saved the independent bicycle dealer network, they, they claim, and it's now over 55% of sales in many countries. So we're seeing it here. It's not at the same pace, but we're seeing e-mountain bikes becoming more and more prevalent. So I guess the question I have for you is, do you allow them, first of all, in your events, depending, uh, of course, trail access is a first hurdle, but where do you see this thing going and how do how does it intersect with your events and events that are out there? This is a total can of worms, Pat. <laughs> I know. And you're, <laughs> you're entitled to opinions. It's okay. <laughs> so I have a lot. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to start by probably contradicting what I just said, but 
So I rode an e-bike the other day in uh, Bentonville and it was awesome. I had an absolute blast. I did feel like I was dancing with the devil. Literally, I did like you know two pedal strokes and I was like, oh boy, this is going to be fun. That's <laughs> <laughs> a like, gosh, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, so I see why people are enjoying them. Um, and I, you know, and to contradict what I said a second ago, right now, uh, I don't know that, you know, th- those big sales numbers that they're talking about in Europe for e-bikes that have brought back the industry, I'd love to see a very detailed and honest breakout of how much of that is mountain bike and how much of that is commuter. And as a commuter and, and with young children, I love the idea of, of a, a utility bike, you know, a utility e-bike to, to drop my kids at school and to go to work and be able to buzz back for lunch, things like that because it just makes it easier and more enjoyable. On the same note, I'm still at that point in my life where I, where I appreciate a good workout. And, and if I can sneak in a three or four mile commute that isn't e-bike supported, then I tend to feel better, you know, or I know I feel better when I got to, you know, from A to B. As far as our events go, so I, I well, I guess on that point, so I think there's a place for e-bikes in our world. Um, I don't know that that we need to just, you know, turn, open the flood valve and, and let them pour into mountain biking per se. I think that we've worked exceptionally hard from an advocacy standpoint for access to trails. And so to just, you know, just flip the switch and say e-bikes welcome on all trails where there's still contentious arguments about whether or not mountain bikes should even be there. I think it could do more damage than good sometimes. And so I think that it's a something that needs to be sort of vetted. It needs to be needs to evolve with the local communities and their access versus just a, a, a broad, you know, a broad brushstroke that says, you know, everyone should have e-bikes on all trails everywhere of all classes and have fun. I guess the question I have is, are you allowing them in your events? So, uh, not yet. So we okay. used to be able to lean on the fact that the trail, the, the permitting agencies didn't allow them, but the, you know, the recent, what was it? Is it the Bureau of Land Management that now has a, yes. Uh, has opened up access. So that's one of our events is on BLM land. So, you know, if we have the demand for it, then we'll consider it. And can we turnkey like our events? Do they have, you know, dirt roads and source, you know, places like that for us to have e-bike events? They absolutely do. But is there, you know, are there 150, 200 people that are going to show up to start line on an e-bike right now? Probably not. They're, they're still very yeah. expensive as far as mountain bikes go. And 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 the world in general, from a mountain bike standpoint and a core mountain bike standpoint, is is still not 100% on board. And so, you know, we were the first to add single speeding as a category at our 24-hour race. You know, we've we've broken down some barriers here and there um, over the years with different types of bikes and and so forth. Um, you know, we were an early player in equal cash purses for men and women. I, I think we pride ourselves on on being progressive for this space. And, and doing what we think is right um, in the world of, you know, what the participants want and need. And I, I don't get a whole lot of requests for e-bikes quite yet. I think we're going to see a bigger population of e-bikes commuting before we see them on trails. No, I think you're absolutely right. I'm one of those. I'm a, you know, I'm commuting on an e-bike. I drive to the train station, get on the train with my e-bike. And then the last leg, I do it by bike. And it's great. Uh, yeah, I don't have to get to work and shower and get changed or anything. I just go right to it. It's great. Um, yeah. And I tell you, you know, a, a funny story, a good friend of mine who's a bike industry guy, he's 
58 years old like myself and he was out riding the other day and he was on his electric specialized e-mountain bike and he's behind a guy on a, on a climb and he did the respectful thing and just kind of slow pedaled it and kept behind the guy, gave the guy his breathing room to get up the hill. And they got to the top and the guy was just gassed because it's a serious climb. And my buddy was, you know, he was, he was working. It wasn't just a cakewalk, but he wasn't gassed. And, you know, my friend complimented him on the climb and the guy kind of noticed that he had a mountain e-bike and he's started, you know, getting in his Kool-Aid about you're a cheater. Oh, you're cheating. And, my friend just laughed and said, no, no, you know, I'm just out here enjoying just the same thing you are. I'm just having a great time and uh, it's a beautiful day and blah, blah, blah. And the guy wouldn't let up. He just kind of kept beating on, you're cheating, you're cheating. So at in a point of exhaustion, he finally, he says, you know what? I'm not the cheater. He, he goes, you're the cheater. And the, took the guy kind of took him by surprise. He's like, what, what do you mean I'm the cheater? He says, well, you're cheating yourself out of as good a time as I've had. I'm going to have it out here today. And maybe you should rethink your attitude. <laughs> and I just thought it was a classic story of, you know, you got to be open to new things. And, you know, when you're 58, like me, some of those climbs just aren't in the cards anymore, but now they can be. So there's, there's a place for them. We just have to figure out how they dovetail into the, the, you know, traditional mountain bike world. So I, I appreciate your comments though. That it, you have to be careful because you could lose your customer pretty quick too. Yeah, we don't we don't want to isolate anybody, but you know I mentioned yeah. earlier as far as participation, and we've got uh, noted growth in that you know fifty and up demographic, and we've got you know enough to add categories in the fifty five and up demographic, and and you know that's rather than lose a customer completely, if it's more appealing to people as they get older to ride an e bike to be able to enjoy trails the way they always have, then I'd rather them still mountain bike for sanity purposes nothing else, right? Then exactly. walk away from the sport completely because we all know what we get from riding a bike. You know, that's, that's why we're all here. That's why people are listening to this podcast. It's, you know, it's how we get sucked into the industry is because it, it gives us something. And I don't want people to have to turn that off all of a sudden. As they say, people for bikes, good things happen when people get on bikes. And I'm a believer. Um, yeah. So just to kind of wind it down, Todd, let's talk. I mean, if you're a retailer uh, and you want to give them some advice today, what would you say to a retailer in terms of events like yours? How, how can they capitalize on them? Do you recommend them getting into doing their own events or are they better off partnering and aligning with people like yourselves? What, what advice would you give to a, an independent bike retailer today? Uh, get involved with your, your local cycling events. Yeah, if you want to pick one and, and go all in, great. If you want to, you know, there's always uh, you know, any healthy you know, cycling community will have a couple, few different events each year. Um, get involved. Uh, you know, it, it's like life, right? Any energy you're willing to put out, usually you can get something back out of it. And and cycling events draw together the community. And so, you know, as a local bike shop, that's your that's that's target rich environment for for you to go and get involved with your community get in front of them and uh, and to play a role. And and that that opens up you know, lines of communication. It, it builds customer base. It shows loyalty to your customer and supports them in, you know, in a place where they want support. And that goes a long way. No, I, I think that's great advice. And um, I hope our audience takes that to heart and considers it because I do think it's another way of connecting. And like you said, with community, uh, today's retail landscape is changing so quickly and becoming more and more challenging. 
And I think the stores that are thriving, and there are those stores out there that are doing well, but they're doing it because they're doing it non-traditional ways. And events are great vehicles to drive traffic, create support, um, and just get involvement with the community. So, Todd, I want to thank you for your time today. I wish you all the best with your events in the coming months. I'm sure our paths are going to cross here soon. And uh, anything else we'd like to add to our conversation today? Uh, nothing to add. Just thanks for having me. This was great. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, man. Have a have a good one. And uh, let's let's talk soon. OK. OK. Bye, Pat. Thanks, man. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com.